Good morning, everybody. It's, uh, who am I? I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, and I'm the founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of you and us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, or something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden. And that, in fact, keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Good morning, everybody. This is Debbie, and Ashley. I'm coming to you from North Carolina where the internet this past week has been sporadic and I'm manifesting good vibes because I've got the love twins here and they've got some great energy and we're going to stay on the line for the next hour and learn some great things together. But it's been cold up here and I'm looking forward to getting back to my warm Florida this afternoon. So welcome everybody. Thank you so much for being here. I'd like to introduce to you my friends, Michelle and Gladys. Michelle and Gladys are here from, well, they're going to tell us a lot about where they're from, but we're going to go from heartache to heart's desires today. So, girls, welcome. Are you there? Yes, we are. Yes. Hi. Yes, well, thank you so much for being with me. I've been trying to, you know, get a hold of you guys for about a year. Um, it's been a while. For those of you, our listeners, who are not part of Women's Prosperity Network but have heard us talk about it over the years, Gladys and Michelle have been part of Women's Prosperity Network and then started their own company a few years ago, um, but I met them when we were in San Diego. So we're going to talk about that, but girls, would you just kind of, it's, it's unusual for me to have more than one guest at a time, and so this is going to be fun bouncing back and forth. So please, you know, jump in whenever you guys want to add something to your sister's conversation or to mine. Uh, this is just a conversation. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how it was growing up as twins. <laughs> well, don't know how to grow up any other way. Uh, we often joke that we never had our own room or our own room. We were always together. And we grew up, we actually were born in New York. Sometimes it's hard to remember that because we've lived in Miami, in Florida since we were three but, you know, we were, I would say, born into a, a very typical blue-collar family. Um, our dad was, was an entrepreneur. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And when we were three, um, our father died. And, you know, here's my mom, barely in her early 20s with two toddler twins, and our, our, our dad had died of cancer, and she found herself, you know, very much alone. And when his, when my dad's family decided to move to Florida, she actually came with them because that was the, that was the support that she had with my dad's family. And um, 
a few years, and he was the lover for life. Like, he truly was the lover for life. And so, you know, those of us, Debbie, I know you too, who have gone through the loss of the South know everything that, that comes with that. And, um, and then we moved to, to Florida, and a few years later she met, um, she met a man. And, you know, they loved each other. They did the best that they could. Um, you know, I, I do think they loved each other. I don't know how in love they were, and they certainly didn't have the skills, the communication skills, the relationship skills to have conversations that wouldn't lead to arguments. And so there was a lot of yelling, a lot of um, disrespect, and we still had the, 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 the blessing of feeling, growing up feeling very loved. And we were not very well off financially, but they really did their best to make sure we had everything that we needed. And, but the, the fighting and the arguing and the disrespect and the you know, falling apart of the relationship came to a point where they decided to divorce. Mm. And so my mom found herself, and now we had a little sister. Um, she, she was the blessing of that, of that marriage. She's six years younger than we are. And my mom found herself alone again, a <laughs> single mother again. And um, not long after that, she met a man. And that's where, you know, we were, there are years, I will be very honest, that um, I don't quite remember in the timeline um, because, and that sometimes happens, you know, when you've had um, trauma, you remember the parts that you, that are very, very clear. And then everything else kind of feels like a blur. But one of the one of the consequences of, of this of meeting and marrying the second man was that at first he seemed very charismatic. He seemed very like he, he was younger than her. For us, our our stepfather had been very serious. He was older than my mom, and he was more serious. And here's this person like for the party. There's always parties to go to. There's always something to do. And um, and what we didn't know at the beginning was he's also an alcoholic. And he was a boxer, a professional boxer in his country, he's from another country. And a couple, I, I think it was a, a year or two into their relationship, we realized that he was, he was beating my mom. And so it's, it's difficult enough to be hit as a woman, to be hit by your spouse. But when somebody's a professional boxer, they know where to hit, they know how to hit. And um, slowly that started what I would I would describe as the unraveling not only of our lives, but of my, like, starting to see my mom um, slowly fall fall to pieces. And um, she also started drinking, and she did have some mental health issues that we didn't know at that time. Years later, she was diagnosed uh, with bipolar disorder and Mm -hmm. was using the the alcohol to to self-medicate. And... The drinking and the partying and the, the dysfunction in our home grew to a point where there were days where we wouldn't see our, um, or weeks where we wouldn't see our mom for days, and uh, there wasn't any money left to pay the rent or to do laundry or to buy food. And so for the first time in, in, in our lives, you know, we're knocking on doors to see if anybody had food they could, they could um give us and and we were and then we saw one day that there was an eviction notice and at that point and anybody who's listening who's ever had something in their childhood you were talking about in the introduction that nobody knows right nobody knew what 
that, and when I say nobody, not even our best friends in school knew that any of this was happening until we just had to, we had to reach out to family and say, we don't have a place to live, right? So we're going to get kicked out. And that started a whole series of other things. I'm not going to go into, into as much detail as I have, but we ended up having to go live with family members. Our little sister, because her, her father was still alive, had to go live with her with her father. So now there's more separation. There's more loss. Our mom lost custody of us. And that started, this whole thing really started creating, in each of us, we each had our own limiting beliefs and fears and just shadows, right, that we started to create. And that led me to start from a very young age. I'm talking like, you know, younger than 12. I would be the little girlfriend, you know, as, as much of a girlfriend as you could be in elementary school, with guys who treated me pretty badly, who made fun of me, who I was the brunt of the jokes, who um, would just say things that were deprecating, and, and all I did was, like, just try to stay with them, just try to get them to stay with me. And that lasted pretty much through, <laughs> through my teen years until, for me, at 17, I did go to a retreat. I went to a youth group because my friend would not stop inviting me. And I just honestly thought I was going to stop being her friend if I didn't go to this thing. And because she was driving me crazy. And I went and I'm so glad I went because I went to a retreat. The next week, I, um, I dedicated my life to Christ and everything changed for me, including that I met, I, I reconnected with somebody that I had known since kindergarten. Who was, uh, he was one of the music ministers. And I was like, oh, thank God I know somebody in this holy place because I wasn't into that. Um, and we fell in love. We became best friends. We fell in love. And we, um, we, got, we, we were together for three years, dating, got married, was so happy. I finally thought I had my happily ever after. Everything, I really believed every dream that I'd ever had as a little girl, the family I never, you know, I didn't have. Everything was going to work out. And five years into our marriage, he was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And that started three years of chemo surgery, blood transfusions, rushing to the hospital, um, ICU. Like it was, you know, he was, he was in remission for a year and a half. It came back and, and, and then it was just wildfire. And I really believed, Debbie, that I would never, ever, ever find love again. And my heart, I mean, it was broken because of everything that he had gone through and losing. I was 27 years old when I was widowed. Nobody plans for that. And I really believed that I would never find love. And one day I heard myself saying that. I heard myself saying, you know what? I'm never going to love or be loved again. I can't believe that. I'm tw- At that point, I was 28. I can't believe I'm 28 and I'm never going to love again. And I heard myself saying it. And I was like, what did you just And I had been saying it. Trust me. Anybody who heard me was in like, my company for five minutes would hear that. Yeah. And, um, and I just heard myself. And I really believe it was God, God intervention intervening, that it was like an out-of-body experience, and I asked myself two questions. What did you just say? And then a better question, what would have you say that? And what I discovered through the process that we now teach our clients is that it wasn't that I thought I would never love again. I was terrified that no one would ever love me again. And all of those limiting beliefs, all of those fears, all of those things that I hadn't really dealt with, I got to deal with them. And I use the process that we now teach, and in four months, I attracted my now husband, and we're, we're about to celebrate our 20, 
first wedding anniversary. We've been together 22 years. We have two kids. And that's why when women tell us, look, I've been through this, I mean, Michelle has a whole different story, except for the first part. <laughs> that, part that part we shared. But I tell women, your past, everything that happened in the past, it really it happened. We can't erase it. You know, I know that you work with women who have had significant heartbreak in their life, whether it was started as a young woman or it happened in a relationship. And we just always emphasize that we are not, we shouldn't be the poster children. Like we're, we're the poster children for who should not have happy, loving, healthy, intimate relationships. And when you do the work to break through the past, when you do the work to forgive and heal and bring acceptance, true acceptance to yourself and everything that's happened, your past becomes an informer, but it's not a predictor of what's possible for you. And so that's, that's you know, that's, that's our message. That's our message to the world. Well, and it's interesting. I didn't know, um, I knew about your husband passing. I didn't know about your dad passing when you were young. So I'd like to get Michelle's story too in a minute. But when your husband was going through that, did you, did you have any flashbacks to what you, when you were a child and it was happening, did you feel like it was happening over again, that you were reliving what happened to your dad, or were you so young when your dad passed that you didn't recognize those feelings? Well, my dad passing, you know, I remember the night he passed. So I definitely remember when the doctors told, told us there was nothing else they could do. Um, I do remember thinking about that. And, and he actually died in my arms. You know, and uh-huh. I thought it was just that the oxygen machi- machine, because he'd taken the oxygen I don't know what you call it, the tube that goes in your nose. I thought that we just needed to raise the oxygen because at that point he was on oxygen 24 hours. But the, my dad dying, um, that was one loss. My grandfather, who was, you know, his father, died, you know, when we were like 10 or 11. Um, then my grandmother died after that. Then our mom leaves. So the story, if we're going to talk about flashbacks, the story that I created was that the people that I love either leave me or die. And, mm-hmm. and that was part of that, that whole being terrified of never loving or being loved again. What I also realized a few years after that was I was terrified to love 100% because when I gave you that last 5%, you were going to die. Like it, was, it sounds ridiculous when I say it now, but that was a real fear for me. That if I love, and it was showing up in friendships and my children, every, once I uncovered it, like once you see it, once it's out of your blind spot, you're like, holy, you know what? This is everywhere in my life. Yeah. I'm afraid to love because you're going to leave me or die. Oh, I, I totally understand that. And, and um, it's that fear. And, and then for me, it was, you know, looking for security. It was either financial mm-hmm. security or relationship security. And do you find that that's when, when we re- recreate the pattern or, or, you know, repeat the pattern of looking for love in the wrong type of a person? Which yeah, well, sounds yeah, like we did. Underneath every single pattern, there's a need that's trying to get filled. So, if there's a pattern that keeps showing up in your life, and it might not always be like, you know, the scammer, but if you're finding that, the, that in the relationships of your life, so I call them life, lopsided relationships, <laughs> that you're always the giver you're, or the overgiver, because of course there's giving in a relationship. When we're, when we're working with women to help them break through patterns, we take them through a process to identify what's the need that you keep trying to fill, because if it's different people and a similar pattern, it's not the person. And it's not that there's anything wrong with you. It really was my blind spot. I didn't see it until I did, just like when you're in a car. 
I did not see it until I did. And then when I saw it, learning the tools for not just having the awareness, because the awareness is great, but there's women who have an awareness of their pattern and continue to repeat it. So we, we help women to identify, to distinguish what it is, then dismantle it, break it apart, and replace it with something that actually does serve them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so here's a quick question. Gladys, are you the oldest of the twins? Yes, by five minutes. And Michelle can take <laughs> all the knowledge in all of the world in those five minutes. <laughs> no, I, I was curious as to who would speak up first um, of the twins. So thank you for your story. I'm, I'd like to hear Michelle's side because Michelle's story after, you know, growing, after you were little did take a different twist. And that makes a difference. Yeah. Michelle, can you kind of fill us in the same way Gladys did? Yes, absolutely. So um, picking up from, from, you know, the time where we were around 15, actually between 13 and 15, which is the time that my mom married the, her third husband. And, you know, like Gladys was saying, some, some memories are cloudy. That, that, the abuse actually happened within the first month. I remember the first incident where I heard him hit her. And um, by that time, based on all the things that had happened, because we develop, our stories get developed very, very young. You know, we develop those stories from the time, mostly between the time of three and seven. Then they get solidified between the ages of seven and 12. And by the time we're 13 to 17, they're concrete. But they're all happening in the subconscious mind. And so by that time, um, I already had a pattern being created that I wasn't aware of until I was of always having a boyfriend. Always, I had had a quote-unquote little boyfriend since I was in first grade. So there was always this need to be with somebody, to feel loved, to feel seen, and to feel wanted. And how, you know, when we left my mom's house, um, very shortly afterwards, I, I met my my first husband, and, you know, we were 16, we were in love, um, and I was not as self-aware, which many of us at that age aren't back then, um, as I am now, and um, I didn't pay attention to the signs that were there, that this was not a good match for me. He, you know, I thought that his jealousy meant that he loved me. I thought that his possessiveness meant that he wanted me. Um, and I misunderstood and misinterpreted that. Now, that doesn't happen only to 15- and 16-year-olds. That can happen to us until we break these patterns that Gladys was talking about. So we ended up um, getting married and, uh, because I got pregnant at 17, and we thought we were doing the right thing, and we gave it really the best effort that we could, uh, but it was a very dysfunctional relationship. It was very toxic. There was a lot of disrespect on both sides. There was infidelity on both sides. There was fighting um, almost every day. I remember most days putting the key in the keyhole, and I'm sure some women hearing this can relate to this, and just closing my eyes and going, I hope today's a good day um, when I got home from work. And most nights sitting on the floor of the bathroom crying, thinking there's got to be more to it than this. This can't be it. Like This can't be everything there is. Because I had this desire to love in a very different way than what was showing up in this relationship, and I didn't like who I was in this relationship. I didn't even know who I was in this relationship. And um, so, you know, we stayed together for 12 and a half years. We have two beautiful sons together who are now grown men. 
And, um, you know, 12 and a half years into it, um, I get a phone call from my sister saying that um, my husband was having an affair with someone in our extended family. And it was one of the most devastating moments in my life. And then it was the next instant it became, and I'm not making this up, the thought was, this is my out. Because I Mm -hmm. didn't have the courage to leave on my own. It took this divorce for me to have the courage to leave. And only it wasn't even real courage because it was the fear of humiliation because everybody was going to know about this because I had known it or suspected others. But again, that pattern of turning away from what's in front of you, what I was turning away from what's in front of me so I wouldn't have to deal with what was really there. You were definitely the woman behind the smile. Yeah, I was. So, I, I mean, many of us are the women behind the smile. It's just something, it's not only with the scammer, right? It's, it can come up in whatever life. it is that you have not healed will show up in your life. It just will keep showing up until you heal it. And so I, I left the marriage. It was, it was a, a nasty separation, a very quick divorce. And I started... Um, dating way too soon, way too soon before I had healed what needed to be healed or even uncovered why did I end up there, right? How did I end up there? So I started dating and I was really excited and I thought, wow, this is going to be great. Now I can have the kind of relationship I really want. I can be who I really am, again, not knowing who I really was, and uh, started dating. And this thing called online dating had emerged since I had been (laughs) married. And um, I did what a lot of single women do that's not the the best thing to do. I started going to other single women for advice on dating, which now that I think about it, it's like, why would you go to other single women on dating? They would be, if they were in a relationship, that might be something different. So I made a lot of mistakes. I met a lot of um, Mr. Wrongs. I had a lot of micro relationships and had a very challenging time, except for with one or actually two guys in those five years with creating any relationship that was longer than three months. And what I know now in the work that we do, they weren't even relationships. We were dating. I thought I was in a relationship and we were just dating. And that's a big mistake that a lot of women make because it looks like a relationship. It talks like a relationship. It quacks like a relationship, but it's not a relationship until it is. So I kept investing myself, my body, my heart, my feelings in relationships that weren't relationships. And so that, that created a lot of heartache. It created a lot of confusion and it created a lot of bitterness. And so it wasn't until five years later where I went from excited to completely disillusioned. I was on my bed crying because here I was again hearing the same words I had heard so many times. Um, You know, you're a great girl. I love hanging out with you, but I just don't want to be in a relationship. And I remember crying on my bed and the question that kept resonating in my mind was, what is wrong with me? And how did I get here? What is wrong with me that I can't get somebody notice the words, right? Get somebody to love me. What, what's wrong with me that I can't make this work? Maybe I'm just not supposed to be in relationships. And I had a coach at that time in a leadership program, and I was talking to him about this, and I was just rattling off, you know, all my complaints about men. And he started asking, he asked me, you know, Michelle, what's the, what, what do all these men have in common? And I'm like, well, they're men. And he's like, okay, well, other than biology, what do they have in common? And I'm like, well, they're liars, they're cheaters, and they don't know what they want. And I did, that came out, like, what's your name? And that was what was in the background. 
And he said, well, what else? And I said, well, they're all, all of them except for one of them has some addiction problem. They've all been in and out of relationships. I've met them when they were either in a relationship or just out of a relationship. None of them want, knows what they want. Um, you know, so they all have, except for one, drinking or drug issues. Like, they all have this. And he said, well, what else? And I got to the point where I got really frustrated. I'm like, well, you tell me because obviously you keep asking me. I don't know. And he said, you. Yeah. You are the one thing these five strangers have in common. You're the common denominator. And it was one of the hardest things I ever heard because um, it felt like a kick in the stomach. And at the same time, it was the biggest wake-up call I needed in that moment because he was absolutely right. These five people didn't know anything about any of them. The only thing they had in common was me. And then he said, and the question you're asking yourself is the wrong question. Stop asking yourself what's wrong with you. And instead start asking yourself, what would have you be attracted to men like that? And what would have men like that be attracted to you? And it was a profound question. And I spent the next few months unraveling that question. And that's that introspection, that questioning, that digging into the layers beneath what was obvious and then what was not obvious and then what was really unseen is what helped us to create the work that we now do for women, single women and married women. And, um, Within a very short amount of time, I started getting, because um, we had had experience with coaching and mentoring and, and uh, training um, our whole adult lives, and I started writing out all of this, and I got to the point where I could see what I needed to see, and I started undoing and unwiring all the things that I had made up about myself, about not being lovable, about there's something wrong with me, about... Um, the love I need is outside of me, um, creating drama, all of that. I, I unraveled that, and I developed a beautiful and deep, loving relationship with myself. And I started dating completely differently. Um, I just started doing things just the, the opposite, pretty much, of how I did it. And I started attracting the most incredible men, just incredible men, um, high-quality men, men who I, they were. we were on – the same spiritual, mental, emotional level, um, we could talk about anything. And I felt comfortable on any date that I went on. Um, I used to avoid the really good-looking guys because I used to get so nervous around them. And I used to get so awkward around them. And I started attracting these gorgeous men. And one of the gorgeous men that I attracted was um, my now husband, Arnie. And when we were dating, um, it was in the very beginning of my my uh, transformation and um, he had said he didn't want to be in a relationship early on and I kept dating him and then one day it was very clear that he was still there and this was about three or four months later and it was the first time in my life that I said these words I said instead of trying to convince him how awesome I was and to you know change try and change his mind which was my old pattern I said um, I hear you and I, you know, I respect that, and I'm really starting to fall for you. I'm starting to fall in love with you, so this, it's not going to work for me to keep seeing you because um, I love you, but I love me more. And wow. uh, so we stayed friends, and I kept dating other amazing guys. And five months later, he called me, and he said, I know you're seeing somebody. I don't think it's committed, and if you'll give me a chance, I'd love to create that extraordinary committed relationship with you. And we've been together ever since. And, um, you know, it's been now 14 years uh, together, 10 years. We just celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary 
this uh, February, and it's been more than I could have ever imagined it could be, and it still is that way after all these years. So that's my love story. <laughs> well, that's, that's lovely, and I, I have a question. During these, this period, did you guys ever talk to each other about the difficulties you were having, or did you hide it from each other too? No, we did always share the difficulties that we had with one another. Um, and it's very interesting that you asked that because when I started, um, when I took that stand for myself with Arnie in that conversation, I had a friend of mine who asked me how come I wasn't like falling apart because she had seen me falling apart whenever I stopped dating somebody. And I said, well, you know, I'm just doing things differently right now. I really want to be with somebody who wants what I want. And I know that I deserve that. And I know that it's possible for me. Um, so I'm willing to let this go so that what I do want and what I'm committed to can show up. And she said, could you, you know, I'm doing this community project for singles. Would you teach other women how to do this? And I said, absolutely. And so we started, you know, it started around a little book club that we did in somebody's living room. And I invited Gladys to be um, a married mentor to the singles, not knowing that she was going to do some things with Rick and she started incorporating what we were doing as uh, singles into her marriage and learning how to communicate in a way that is inviting versus demanding. And she started, uh, she stopped complaining and things like that. And she transformed her relationship, which I didn't know at the time that they were going through some serious bumps in the road. And that relationship completely transformed. And they've now been together for, you know, 21 years, just celebrated their 20 wedding anniversary so we've always shared with each other what's going on and I think that that that's really valuable to have someone in your life like that you just want to make sure the person that you're sharing with is someone who's going to you know call you on your stuff (laughs) because if not if you just tell it to somebody who's just going to agree with you and commiserate in your misery that's really not going to have you grow it may have you feel better because you can vent but it's not going to have you grow and I think that that's what Gladys and I are for each other and now we are that for our clients that we can listen and be empathetic and loving and at the same time say, listen, girl, you know, this is where you need to be looking and this is what, this is what you may not be considering right now so that you can see what's in the blind spot because it's in the blind spot that the magic happens. Well, and that's really interesting. And looking at it from, uh, from an online dating point of view, and I go back to the two years that I was in a, the online relationship, um, which you guys know I never saw him in person. And I'm thinking about all the women that I that we work with at SCARS that are in that relationship. And even today, I've got women that you know, contacted me yesterday. And they're so afraid to tell anybody or their friends are contacting me and saying, you know, if I, if I say something to her, I'm going to lose her as a friend because she's pushing me away. She only wants to listen to what the, what the relationship meant, what the man is telling her. And I'm afraid I'm going to lose her as a friend, so I'm willing to do that. And and that's the hardest part. And I've got one of my best friends now will go back and say, Deb, you know, what could I have done to stop you from pursuing that relationship? And I'm thinking, there's nothing you could have done because they are so skilled at, at reeling us in and making us isolate from our friends and families and that's why I, I'm so encouraged by what you guys do together. I think everybody needs to have a dating buddy <laughs> that is that observant, observant person that's the objective one on the outside that can say, hey, this looks like a red flag. Whoa, let's stop. Take a pause and listen. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen to most people. Um, so in, 
in the work that you guys do, and first off, how did you come up with the name of the company? Tell everybody what it is, and how did you come up with the name of the company? <laughs> well, we were sitting in my dining room. This is God. We were sitting in my dining room where we were, we were coming up with names, and we started thinking about, you know, the women that we were coming in contact with, ourselves, and with the phrase that kept coming up is, you know, she can have, the love and the happiness and the life that her heart desires. So it kept, it, it was, because the thing is, one of the things that we, people come to know about us very, very quickly is while we're known for being dating and relationship coaches and we are very, very uh, good at that and, we're, you know, our clients have a very big success rate, our work is more about transformation. So it wasn't just about the typical, like you might see other dating coaches, do this, do that, have this on your profile, hold the smile for three seconds, you know, also like the doing, like the checklist of things that you have to do that women think that's what, you know, this is the right site to be on versus that site. We have always been about the transformation journey, going from wherever you are to where you want to be. And the word, the, the phrase heart's desire kept coming up in the conversation, like anything she wants, anything she desires. And then we added international, Hearts Desire International, because we already had a vision back then that this was not going to be, we started very locally in our friend's, you know, living room in Hollywood, Florida. Then we moved to uh, another room in Miami, uh, Miami Beach, Florida. We knew it wasn't going to stay local. We always had a vision that we would be tra- helping women around the world because our bigger vision is that the way we get to really transform this world is through the heart of a woman. One woman, one heart, and one relationship at a time. And so when we said international, sitting in my living room, I mean, in my dining room, it was kind of like a little bit of a chuckle, but there wasn't one person sitting at that table that didn't, didn't believe <laughs> that this one day was going to be a global, uh, a global movement, and that's exactly what it, what it is. So... Um, that desires, it just kept coming up. It's like anything she wants. Because women, particularly women who are successful, this is, this is the kind of woman we tend to attract into our work. They're pretty, just like we were. I mean, you attract yourself in your journey. Uh, women who are very successful in their careers, in their ed- education, the other areas of their life, the, p- the place where they're struggling many times is in romantic relationships. And when you're experiencing success in other areas and not in this area, it doesn't matter how successful you are, how independent, how self, you know, self-reliant you are. If your heart desires to share this life that you're creating with someone else, to deny that is really to deny yourself. And it is to be a woman behind a smile because that's where we hear, oh, I'm good by myself. I'm happy. And we're not saying you need a man. To be happy, your happiness is 100% your responsibility. So is the, the creation of your dream. And if your heart desires to share love and life and successes and those hard periods of time as well with someone who will stand with and by you and for you, to pretend that you don't want that is another smile you're hiding behind. Because now you're just saying what makes you feel better or you're just trying to you know, make it seem like everything's okay when in your heart of hearts you really do want to have a happy, loving relationship. Well, which in, in the case of the women that we work with, and they're around the world, 
relationship scam and whatever is it's rampant around the world. The women that are coming to us are well-educated, well-financed, just the top-notch women of the mm -hmm. world that have big hearts. And when they've been taken, manipulated, their hearts torn out from underneath them, it is the most extraordinarily awful place to be. And yeah. that's what I like what you guys are doing because, you know, you recognize that we all come from different places, but it's very hard, very hard to get your confidence and your courage back to make a decision to do anything after you've been taken from, well, I say the, the inside out. Um, mm -hmm. So, boy, this is a, this is a, this conversation has me just, <laughs> My heart is just beating because I know that it's so important. I want to just veer off for one second because when we went to San Diego together to a program called Changemakers, which is now Awakening Giants, um, why did you guys go there and what was your greatest aha moment? And I want to, like, in that aha moment, I want you guys to talk about the challenge course and what that did for you. So, Michelle, I think I think uh, I was going to ask you if, if you would share because there were so many. We we both had different reasons for being there, and then we had a, a common goal for being there. But I I would love for Michelle to share. Sure. Yeah. So we went. We almost didn't get to go because we were um, in what they call a shopping contract with an with another reality show that um, was looking into us and seeing, you know, if, if what concept could be created around what we do. And so when we were first approached, um, we were excited about it, but we said, we, we're just not going to be able to do that. We're in contract for six months. So then right, I think it was the week before or two weeks before um, we were supposed to head out to everybody was heading out to San Diego. We got contacted again and we said, Oh wow. Yeah, we do. We actually, um, that contract just ended a few days ago. So we talked about it. We said, you know, this is for leaders. It's about leadership. It's about, you know, confronting your fears. It's about confronting um, whatever stops you. We were really excited about that because we knew it would take us personally and then what we could bring back to our clients to a whole other level. And we get to meet other amazing thought leaders in the world. And so we we're like, let's do it. So we went. And um, it was one of the best experiences. It was so much fun. We learned so much. But it was also very challenging because we kept being put in these situations where we, um, you know, all fear, doubt, you know, insecurity, uncertainty would show up. And then when we did the course, it was very interesting because I had done a course a few years before, and it had been a very challenging experience for me because I – I have been very afraid of heights, like deathly afraid of heights. And I use the word deathly, not lightly, because that's the thought that comes into my head that I'm going to plummet to my death. And it could be um, a pole or it could be a little stepladder. And I'm, it's irrational and I get all that logically, but it's there. So I thought that I was going to be okay because I had been through that other experience. I had cried on the way up the pole. I had, you know, had my breakthrough. And um, so I was looking forward to doing it. And um, <laughs> and when we got when as we're walking to the course, I'm so excited. And then when we get there, and I look up at the, <laughs> these poles that are 40 and 50 feet up in the air, um, all of a sudden, I'm like, "What the hell, right? <laughs> I want to do this. This is crazy. I already proved it once. I don't have to prove it again." So um, I 
Gladys and I took the roles of photographers, and we started taking pictures and videos of everybody having their breakthroughs. And then it was Gladys' turn, and, you know, she's also been afraid of heights, and she went up, and I, I know it was very – it was a breakthrough moment for her because she really broke through whatever was there for her. And she got up to the top, and she walked across, and I was inspired by her courage, and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. Well, what – only she knew was that I had been battling dizzy spells the entire, like for two weeks before going to, um, to San Diego. And I had been dealing with that all the while on the, on the bus and motion sickness, the whole thing. So um, in addition to being afraid, I had that fear there too. So I start going up the, this 40 or 50 foot pole. And after three steps, I'm, I freeze. And it's the same exact thing that happened the last time. So now not only am I scared, I'm frustrated with myself and I'm judging myself and I'm saying, why, you know, why are you going through this again? Look at that one over there. She's jumping from the top of the pole to this look, what looks like she's going to fly off the side of the mountain and she's doing it. Why can't you do it? And all this conversation is going on in my head and I talked myself down and I remember crying and I, I used the excuse um, that my rings were bothering me, although they were, it really was an excuse at the moment. I when I told my sister, I'm so scared. And she's like, you don't have to do it, but I know that you can. And that's the kind of person that everyone needs to have in their life. And my sister is not only my sister, but she's my coach. And she wasn't going to let me just be there in my fear. She could be with my fear, but she wasn't going to let me stay in it. And I was crying by this time. I was crying hysterically. And I'm like, I'm so afraid. So she's like, you can do it, Michelle. You can do it. I'm right here. You can do it. So I gave her my wedding ring and I started up again, three steps, boom, there I go, frozen again. Now in my head, and this is what's really important to get because our brains can't tell the difference between what's really happening and what we're afraid of. Um, in my head, I was already halfway up the, the pole. I was only like five feet off the ground. And this is so important because in life and in love, we believe what our brain tells us is true in the moment of fear, but that's not what's really happening. But it can't tell the difference, so it acts exactly the same as it would if I was in the fifth, at the top of the 50-foot pole. And I remember I just was so upset at myself, and I started hitting the, the pole going, why can she do it and I can't? Why can she do it and I can't? And in that moment, I said, oh, my God, that's what our clients say. Our clients say, why can she have it and I can't? And something about that turned it from me being afraid about me falling or dying or whatever to how can I use this moment and this opportunity to move past my own fear so that when, they, when they're coached by us, they get that they can move past whatever that fear is too. So what I started doing was I started saying their names one by one, going down the, the names of the women who were in our programs at the time. And with every name, I took a step. And I got all the way to the top. And I got all the way to the top very fast. I saw the video. I started moving very fast. And then when you get to the top, you have to step on the platform. So then it was like, I'm afraid of letting go. That's also what they say. So I let go of the of the pole and I stood on the little bridge and I got the, the dizzy spell was going like crazy. And the woman's like, okay, take another step. And I told her, I'm going to take one step. 
and it's a big step for me. And then I'm coming down because I, I wasn't feeling good at that moment. I was afraid, honestly, that I was going to throw up everybody underneath <laughs> me because I was so dizzy. But I took that step, and then um, I asked her, please bring me down with that exact tone. And um, she brought me down. And when I touched the ground, my knees felt like spaghetti. And um, the first one there to hug me was my sister. And then I remember, by the way, all the way up, how people were saying, come on, Michelle, you can do it. You can do it, Michelle, you can do it. And hearing that support was so important to me. And when I came down, you know, just hugged all around. And what I found out afterwards is that many people who had started and stopped went and did the course because they were inspired by the breakthrough that they saw me having. They couldn't hear the internal conversation or even the conversation I was having out loud myself, but they saw the breakthrough moment and several people went back up the pole and, and completed their course as well. So that was, that was the bonus to that experience. Well, that, that was an extraordinary day. And, and as you were talking about that, I was reliving climbing the pole I was on. And when I got up to the top, I had one step to go and I'm looking over at that trapeze and looking down and Trish was down at the bottom and said, Deb, your whole platform is stand up. She goes, just stand up. It's that last step. And you really sometimes need someone to kick you in the butt and just and say, you can do it. I've got, you know, confidence in you. Get it yourself and just stand up. And that overcoming it afterwards, I know when I, when I uh, caught the trapeze, it was like Tinkerbell. My feet were flying. <laughs> it's probably like when you got to the top. It's like I, you did it for yourself, but then you did it for everybody else too. And it was yeah. – it you get over that fear and, and that I can't do it, I can't do it. And when you, you do do it, it's like you're comfortable now being uncomfortable. And oh, that's, for sure. that's difficult. But when you get there, it's so exciting and you just want to <laughs> share it. So, you guys, yeah. our time is flying by and I, I love the conversation we're having and I really think we need to do more together. Um, tell us, tell the audience what you're about to do with uh, the program that you've got coming up. And, uh, and help us to get unstuck and get past those, those bad relationships in the past so that we can have our heart's desire. What's coming up for you guys? So we've got, we've got a couple of things happening this week. It's, it's so interesting because we knew we had your show and we have a live breakthrough call tomorrow night and we have a, a really great webinar we're doing on, on Saturday that we've, we've done it before and it's just helped women create such huge breakthroughs. Um, so it was like, you know, we finally were like, how do we announce all this? And so we just sent something out the other says, that said, this is an epic week. <laughs> you know, it's just like, pick, pick your, pick your, your event. Um, but we, the one I, I think would make the biggest difference for the ladies listening is we have a webinar that we're doing on Saturday and it's called attract the right man. And the word right is, very, when we say right, you know, we're not a, we, we don't believe in checklists and he has to have this and he must do that. And we don't believe in that. That's not what we teach. We teach, you know, focus on the experience that you want to have in the relationship, be that, and that's who you'll attract. But we see in, and you see this in your work too, that there's, as we were talking about these patterns, right, that, that women um, will repeat. And what we're, what we're trying to help women to see is, you know, whether it's the pole, right, going up to the pole, or it's getting back, you know, open, opening your heart again um, to, to allow yourself to know and be loved. Many times it looks like I don't trust men, especially when you've had, you've been scammed, you've been hurt, you've been betrayed. 
but it's really I don't trust myself to choose right. I made this mistake, and now I'm, it looks like I don't trust men or the dating site, online dating or whatever, but I don't trust myself. So when we say attract the right men, what we're talking about is who do you get to be and what are the things that you want to break through so that you can trust yourself to choose the person who's right for you and not have that lingering fear that I might make this mistake again. So the Attract the Right Men webinar is it's a three-hour interactive training. It's not just being talked at. We'll be doing work together. And you're going to learn exactly what to do to stop attracting the wrong kind of man and attract the kind of man now that you can create, the happy, loving relationship that lasts for a lifetime, what you truly desire. And so that's going to be Saturday, May 15th, this coming Saturday from 12 p.m. to 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern. And um, the URL, because I don't know if we, if we have a place where, where we can post this, but I'm going to say it slowly, and then maybe we'll repeat it. So the first part is hearts, with an S, heartsdesireintl.com slash home slash attract. So it's Heart's Desire, I-N-T-L, for international, heartsdesireintl.com slash home slash attract. When you go to that page, all you have to do is put in your information. You also get a free one-on-one love coaching session if you want that, if you want to have that as part of the, the bundle. But it really is an opportunity to come and be in a supportive, encouraging, transformational space for three hours where you could, you actually will, if you choose to, have a breakthrough in yourself, in trusting yourself, and in your love life. That's wonderful. So that's heartsdesireintl.com slash home slash attract. Perfect. That's, that's really important. Um, I love the work that you guys do and that you work together. For me, that I have a lot of friends. I have three brothers, and I'd always wished I had a sister. I look at the Women's Prosperity Network and the three sisters, and I'm like, how fun is it to have those sisters? Um, I have Dr. Tim, which I love Dr. Tim, uh, but it's not the same as having a girl. (laughs) Uh, But I've got some great friends. And and you guys, um, one one last thing. We have a few more minutes. What would be the one tip that you could give our our girls uh, on how to get their confidence back? to take that first step towards finding, you know, a real happy love again. There's that piece that you're not, you feel like you can't, you don't trust yourself or you can't trust yourself. So one of the best ways to get your confidence back, first of all, is what Michelle was talking about when she was sharing her story. Let's find what the wounds are. And it's not just the wounds that were caused by the, the situation. Let's say if you were scammed. But it's all, it's all the other wounds, I mean, th- that come with it. You know, like, I don't, I don't feel I can trust myself. Who's going to love me? Is it worth it? All of that. The best way to get your confidence back is to really heal that. And when we say heal, we mean that it doesn't go away. It's not like it didn't happen. You realize that it happened. And going back to the very first thing I said at the beginning of the call, that your past is an informer, but it is not a predictor of what's possible for you. So let's do the healing work. And, and have you then choose who you're going to be, not because of what happened, but because of what you want, what you want to see happen. And start building that trust within yourself where you know yourself to be a smart, capable, confident woman who is going to attract not 
the past or not what she, because we don't want to keep attracting men who are attracted to our fear. We want men to attract men into our lives who are attracted to our heart's desires. So let's heal the wounds. Let's build that trust so that you know that you know that you can trust yourself and then be what we call the irresistible woman who attracts the man, the life, and the love that her heart desires. Well, that's a perfect way to sum it up. And, uh, and just I, I, I thank you guys because we want to give people hope that it can happen again. And that's my yeah. greatest joy uh, you know, after my situation because I have friends who said, I'll never, I'll never get married again. I'll never find love again. And I'm looking at them going, yep, you're right. You won't. Because if you feel that way, if you think that way, you're, you're not ever going to let yourself uh, move forward. And I fortunately did and, and found love again and, and have the greatest guy supporting me in all that I do and gives me the confidence to be me and to, to open up my mouth. And he realizes that as we stand up and speak up about what we're doing, we are growing from the inside out. And we're becoming more powerful uh, in our own right and not in an aggressive way, but in a very self-secure, confident way. And I love how you said at the very beginning about how the women of the world are going to change the world. And we are one person yeah. at a time. And, but together, it makes it so much better, you know, because we have a hand to hold on to and not feel like we're alone. Absolutely. So, the biggest lie that ego will tell you is that you're in it alone. And when you get that you're not alone not in the pain, and not in the breakthrough. That's part of what helps you feel confident, too. Absolutely. So thank you, girls, so much. Look up Michelle and, and Gladys online. They're, they've got an online presence. They are down here in Miami, but with you know, being able to do all this on the Internet and online, we have no barriers, no geographic barriers between us. So, girls, and I'm so grateful that we manifested this live presentation, and I did have the Internet the whole time. I'm looking at I'm looking out at the mountains and the sun is shining and it's still about 45 degrees and I'm freezing. But this has been a very heartwarming heartwarming show and I thank you both for being here. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, and we are supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can make a small donation, please do so. This episode has been sponsored by BenforComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in your hands and feet, check out our Benfoteaming products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thanks, everybody, for being here today. Go to my website, thewomenbehindasmile.com, for additional information and resources. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. Have a great day.